invite you to take your Bible to open them up to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. So uh, I have the job this morning of describing the entrance of sin into the world. My Sunday school class this morning was Historical Theology chapter 32, which is the reality of the final judgment and eternal conscious torment. So this has been a heavy morning. But um, if you've got your Bible to open to Genesis chapter 3, I want to start off this week by just posing a couple questions for us to think about. The first question is this. What is wrong with our world? What is wrong with our world? Why do people that we love die? Why do people treat people the way they treat people? Why do I treat other people? The way that I treat them, even though I know that I should treat them differently. Why is my body breaking down? Things like, how can we live in a world where millions of mothers choose to end the lives of their own children? Stuff like this. Why is work such a struggle? Sometimes it feels like, doesn't it? Sometimes in life, there are periods of time where it feels like all the forces of nature are working against you. Have you ever felt that way? Why all the natural disasters? Why the droughts, the famines, the floods, pestilence? Tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, COVID. Why is the world full of disease? Things like why do those in power? Abuse, oppress, mistreat, enslave, and sometimes murder their own people. You know, one thing I've always wondered just in my own life is why are human beings so drawn to violence? 
I don't know if you remember being in high school. Uh, at least this is the way it was in my high school. Whenever there was a fight, anyone ever experienced this? There's a fight, it's a brawl, fists are slinging, books are flying, hair is pulling. And what happens? The crowd gathers. Why? To help? No. To be entertained. So, that's a lot to think about right out the gate, isn't it? Um, and what, what I really just want to drive home in the next few minutes is that sin is our biggest problem. Sin is our biggest problem. If you remember, we're going through a series from the garden to glory, and, and what we're seeking to do throughout this, this few months is to just do a flyover of the major storyline of Scripture. So that each one of us can go to our time of, of Scripture reading and prayer and understand whatever we're reading and wherever we're reading, it fits into the major storyline of the Bible. That the, the major storyline from the beginning to the end is the sinfulness of man, the holiness of God, the greatness of Christ, the singularity of the gospel, that that's the story from beginning to end. And today we come to Genesis chapter 3. Last week, Toby started us off with the creation account. And we learned that in the beginning, the sovereign God of the universe creates this world that we live in. And as such, the subject of the story is God. History is His story. This world that we're living in right now, these lives that we are living right now, these children that we are raising right now, these dollars that we are managing right now, all belong to the Lord. Man was made in the image of God. God created us in His image to represent His reign over His creation. And we learned last week that creation was good. That the sovereign Creator, the Holy Lord of the universe, made creation, made us in His image, looked at all of creation, looked at all of mankind, and said, this is very good. And he is the rightful king. Now before we move on, I just want to, each one of us to examine our own heart on that point. 
Do I believe that? Have I come to understand that this world is God's world? That this life is God's life? That as the creator of all things, he rightfully reigns over all that he has made. Because if we affirm those things, these have massive implications for our life. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to fly through four chapters of Scripture. We obviously can't address everything in Genesis chapter 3 through 6, but we're going to hit the major point. And my hope is that we will walk away this morning with the message that Moses was seeking to communicate to the people of Israel in Genesis chapter 3 through 6. I want to start by reading the first six verses of Genesis chapter 3, and then we will dig in. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make One wise, she took of his fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would help us to see your truth. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see ourselves in these texts of Scripture. We pray that you would draw our hearts to our only hope, which is Jesus himself, and that we would glory in him alone as we walk away from this church this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 3, we read the account of the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. God had told Adam and Eve that you may surely eat of every tree that is in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. 
And it is interesting to consider the fact that Adam and Eve were living in paradise. All of the things that we just described a few minutes ago, asking about drought and famine and pestilence and hatred and, and evil atrocities committed against one another, none of that existed. It was perfect. Adam and Eve were living in perfect relationship with one another. And Adam and Eve were living in perfect harmony and fellowship and relationship with God. And God had put them in the blessings of the garden. And they are experiencing all the blessings that God has given them in the Garden of Eden. And He simply gives them one prohibition. One. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Satan seeks to distort this commandment, and he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's obviously a misrepresentation of what God said. Eve responds, no, that's not what he said. He said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That is the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Eve's response to Satan here reveals something. It reveals that she clearly understood what God had said to her. She clearly understood what God's expectation of her was. His word was not difficult to understand. She wasn't going to be able to plead ignorance. Don't touch the tree or you'll die. And as such, what we see from Adam and Eve is not an act of ignorance, but rather an act of rebellion. Humanity rejects the Word of God because Satan says to her, listen, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And at the end of the day, when we read in verse 6 that Adam and Eve took the fruit and ate it, at the end of the day, Eve believed Satan over the Creator God. And would you know something that every time, every, this is a sobering reality. Every time we as human beings rebel against God, we believe the lies of the evil one over the truth of God. You 
Anyway, Satan tempts Adam and Eve to reject his words. In other words, I know what God has said, but it isn't true. There is something better. And we live in a culture like that right now. We live in a culture that says what I say is right is right. We live in a culture that says what I say is marriage is marriage. What I say is an appropriate sexual relationship is an appropriate sexual relationship. What I say gender is is gender. What I say a family is is what family is. What I say a child or a human being is, that's who a child or a human being is. And there's churches doing the same thing. Rejecting the clearly revealed word of God in regards to all of these things, thinking they found a better way. This principle flushes itself out in the church as well. The rejection of God's word tends to be more subtle in a place such as this. Here's some examples. What do we believe, brothers and sisters, about unsubmissiveness? What do we believe, brothers and sisters, about gossip? What do we believe about ourselves when we show a lack of love toward one another? What do we believe about ourselves when we choose to indulge ourselves while we fail to be generous with others? Are we believing God's word or are we believing something else when we show an unwillingness to forgive and reconcile with other people? I remember some years ago, we were having a conflict, and this was a long time ago. There was a conflict here in the church with a couple folks. And we sat down in an office. We took them to the Word of God, demonstrated to them that their obligation as Christians before the Lord was to take their offense to their brother and sister and seek reconciliation. The response? I know what God's Word says. I know what the Bible says. But I'm not going to do that. They rejected God's word and chose their own path and it leads to the fall of humanity. Brothers and sisters, God has made himself clear in his word and here's the question. Do you and I recognize his authority over our lives? The third thing that happens in this, in this text that I want you to see is not only um, is God's word distorted. Not only is God's word rejected, but God's goodness is questioned. God's goodness is questioned. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
What's actually happening here is that God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Instead of recognizing the goodness and grace of God in creation, instead of recognizing the love of the Holy Creator toward them and all that He has given them and giving them each other and giving them the Garden of Eden and giving them life and giving them all of creation, instead of recognizing Him as good and worshiping Him as such, they are convinced that what God is really doing is holding out on them and seeking to prevent them from having their best life. Satan convinces Eve that, listen, if you rebel against the Lord, you won't actually die. What will actually happen is you will become like God. This raises the fundamental question. Do I believe that God is good? Because here's the reality. If we believe that God is good, if we come to know God, if we have come to be born again and, and raised to, to walk in newness of life, knowing the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to understand that God is in fact good. And instead of His commandments being a burden that we carry around, that's a drag that brings misery on our lives, we come to recognize and our eyes are able to see that the commandments of the Lord come from a good and gracious God who loves us and is truly seeking what is best for His people. And instead of His commandments being a burden, they're a joy. Dying to myself and loving others is a joy. Giving is truly better than receiving. Humbling myself is truly better than exalting myself. Do we believe God is good? Eve didn't. Instead, the Scripture says that she saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. At this point, who cares what God has said? Listen, Eve believed that she found a better option for life. A better way of living than loving and obeying her Creator. Third thing I want you to see here briefly is that instead of exalting God... God's glory is ignored. Instead of exalting the one true God, our first parents sought to exalt themselves. 
Instead of worshiping God as he has revealed himself, they want to make themselves out to be God. The creature wants to be autonomous from the creator. So to summarize the root of sin in Genesis chapter 3, these three things. The creator's clear, clear revelation of himself is rejected by the creature. The goodness of God is questioned by the creature. And the glory of God is ignored by the creature. And this is really the beginning of the rest of the story. Romans chapter 1 describes it this way, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? Because of the things that have been made. So that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is the nature of humanity. All right, let's take a few minutes and look at the result of sin. The result of sin. The first thing I want you to see in Genesis chapter 3 through 6 is concerning the result of sin is that the relationship with God is broken. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 3, look at what happened. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you? Not to eat. Adam and Eve were walking in perfect fellowship with God. Rebellion enters the picture. Sin enters into the world. And these two human beings who were walking in perfect fellowship with God end up running from God. Sin has broken the relationship of human being with God. In verse 22 of chapter 3, 
The Lord says this, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, and he drove out man. And at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned away, that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. As a result of their sin, Adam and Eve hide from God. And as a result of their sin, Adam and Eve are banished from the presence of God in the perfect place, the Garden of Eden. This is what sin does. Sin breaks our relationship with God. The Apostle John makes this clear in 1 John that we cannot have fellowship with the light of God and continue to walk in sin. When sin entered the world, all of humanity experienced spiritual death. And every human being since the fall has been born spiritually dead in need of mercy. Here's the second thing that was the result of sin. Human relationships with one another are broken. God asks Adam, he says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man responds and says, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit. And the blame game begins. If you look at verse um, 16, God curses the woman and says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And due to the rise of sin in the world, your desire shall be for your husband. The idea there is that in her sinful state, she will want to exercise control and dominate over her husband. And he shall rule over you. Sin comes into the world and what we see happen in the relationship of marriage the power struggle begins. Anyone in here ever had that power struggle? Anybody? Yeah, Adam and Eve are sinners now. And the rest of their life will be marked by conflict and struggle. In Genesis chapter 4, we read the account of Cain and Abel. Starting in verse 1, Adam and Eve, Adam knew Eve his wife and conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock 
and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And here it is again. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And we all know how the story ends. First John the Apostle John commentates on this event and he says that the reason Cain hates his brother is because Abel's works were righteous and Cain's works were evil. But I want you to see this. Sin enters into the world. The marriage relationship is fractured and now you have the first two brothers and one acts in righteousness, the other one acts in evil, and the one hates the one who acts in righteousness and murders him. Relationships are broken. How many of you could say that, you know, human relationships are difficult? We see this in the counseling room all the time. Here's what happens in the counseling room. You have two sinners that walk into the counseling room, both of whom are convinced of their own self-righteousness. And both of these sinners are responding sinfully to being sinned against while at the same time affirming their own self-righteousness. It's because of sin that our relationships are broken. You know what else is broken? Creation is broken. Genesis 3.17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Paul speaks of this way, the creation wastes with eager, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself, that right now, is under the bondage of corruption. The creation is hoping to be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, and we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, it, just to make sure I'm being clear here, we're living in a world where our relationship with God is broken, our relationship with each other is broken, our world is broken. Not only is our world broken, but our work is broken. God curses Adam and says, In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your faith you shall eat bread. The groaning creation works against us, doesn't it, Ron? One week we're praying for rain. The next week we're praying for sunshine. We don't have rain when we need it. We don't have sunshine when we need it. 
Just a couple of month, months ago, we had tornadoes come through. Houses gone in a flash. I remember I was driving up 65 after that tornado came through, and there's that big warehouse right off of 65, right? And it was just bent into a big pretzel. And I'm looking over there, and I'm like, man, there, that's like six months of work that just got destroyed in 60 seconds. Some of you might not know this, but I work on houses. I like to fix up houses, and I was working on my own house and fixing up my own house and just finished painting the house. God love her, but that little two-year-old girl, I'm not even joking. This is within a week of painting my house. Had two pencils and just... on multiple walls. Yeah. Our work is broken. Our bodies are broken too. Look at what the Lord says to to Adam in chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Every human being that lives in this life experiences the curse of sin. Age or disease or both will bring an end to every one of the earthly tents that sits in this room. While we live in these bodies, we face injuries, illness, aches, pain, physical suffering, exhaustion, hunger, thirst, and more. Why? Because sin has come into the world. Now part of the deception of sin is this, is that sometimes the consequences of sin are delayed. Have you experienced this? Very rarely are there times where we experience the consequences of our sins immediately. But sin is like putting a seed in the ground. And in the course of time, that sin grows and eventually it bears its fruit. And part of the deception of sin, while we are in the sin, we're not experiencing the consequences of the sin. Much like Adam, there are some consequences that he experienced immediately. God said, you will surely die. But did he surely die right away? No, he did not. No, he did not. But what do we read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 5? Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. But here it is. And he died. Yeah, Satan said, You will not surely die. But 900 years later, he did. Guys, sin truly is our biggest problem. It really is. All right, very quickly, the reach of sin. 
the reach of sin. Look at Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. We are three chapters away from the fall, and I want you to see what has happened to mankind. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. This is what sin does. Sin has so permeated the world. Sin has so infiltrated mankind. Sin has so infiltrated mankind that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know, sin is like sand. Sin is like sand at the beach. How many of you have gone to the beach and the waves are churning and you're swimming, you're out in the water and you get out of the, get out of the ocean and you go back to your hotel room, your Airbnb or whatever it is you're staying, where's their sand? Everywhere. You wipe your eye, sand. You stick a Q-tip in your ear, Sand. You wash your hair. Sand. You clean out your fingernails. Guess what? Sand. Sand impacts every aspect of who you are after you've been at the beach. Sin's like that. You look at a person's body, what do you see? Sin. You go to a person's mind and their intellect and their thinking, and what do you find? Sin. You start looking at a person's emotions and affections and their will, the, the heart, what drives human beings to do what human beings do, and what do you find? Sin. Every part, every aspect of who we are this is so important to understand. Every part of who we are has been altered by sin. Try to illustrate it this way. There are some people in this room who have been misguided along the way and cheer for another football team besides Notre Dame University. <laughs> and because of this terrible inclination of the heart, you will watch the same Notre Dame game, the same, too many games, the same Notre Dame game. And watch the same exact play and see the same exact call 
and arrive at a completely different conclusion. Have you ever experienced this? This, this is a phenomenon of sporting events. A phenomenon where you have two groups of people. You have this side of the stadium that's cheering for this team. You have this side of the stadium that's cheering for this team. We're all watching the same exact game. We all just watched the same exact play. We all just watched the same exact referee blow the same exact whistle and make the same exact call. One side is elated and the other side is grumbling and complaining and booing. Yeah. Why? Why is that? Because we are not objective observers of the game. Brothers and sisters, we got to realize we have to know, we have to humble ourselves to recognize that we have hearts that are inclined. and our hearts are so good at justifying myself you know why because I'm not an objective observer of my own life The reality is that we are all born into this world die-hard fan of sin. Now here's the deal. Once we understand this, once we've recognized the reach of sin, that sin has infiltrated every aspect of who we are as human beings, now we have to humble ourselves. Now we must recognize sin has affected my mind. Sin has affected my will. Sin has affected my love, my heart, my affection, my emotion. Sin has affected everything about me. So I cannot go to myself to look for the answers. That's insanity. We can't look within ourselves for answers. We can't look within ourselves to find truth. We can't look within ourselves to find the solution to our biggest problem. Can't do it. Can't do it, folks. We must humble ourselves and accept the fact and recognize the fact that what we need is the revelation of God. That the revelation of God is the authority in every aspect of my life. And any time the revelation of God says something that my intellect or my emotions or my will doesn't like, guess what? I'm the problem. I'm the problem. We have to recognize that our biggest problem is sin. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Sin has made human beings unable to love, know, and please God. Very quickly, the requirement of sin. What hope is there in a world like this? Now that we know the root of sin, now that we know the result of sin, now that we know the reach of sin, we have to come to the understanding that, listen, a, a politician can't fix this, a doctor can't fix this, another spouse can't fix this, the educational system can't fix this. There is nothing that can fix in this world the human condition, brothers and sisters. Nothing. Only God can fix this. And as such, sin's requirement is a savior. Human beings that are in this condition cannot save themselves. Their condition requires a savior. And in Genesis chapter 3, God gives us just a small kernel of the hope of the gospel when he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman is the first indication in scriptures of what God is going to, re- to do to restore what has been lost to humanity. And I want to close by reading this. Listen to these words. In the same region, there were shepherds out in a field keeping wash over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We are thankful for the good news of the gospel. And we are we praise you that you did, you did not leave us in this condition, but that you came as a baby and rescued us from ourselves for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name.